Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. As we work our way through this series, one of the things we're going to be doing week to week before the message is reading through the scriptures that we're going to be studying as we try to understand how we live our lives Monday through Saturday, worshiping God and not just on the Sunday morning. Um, so today we're going to be reading a couple scriptures that have to do with that topic of marriage. Then Jamie will be leading us. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would, call, what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Genesis two eighteen through 25. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a male will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Matthew nineteen three through 6 Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no other ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Ephesians five twenty-one through 33. Well, good morning and welcome again to Christ Church. Uh, my name is Michael, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and the privilege of being here together with you. Uh, it has not been a short week for a lot of people, and so it's good to be back together, gathered here uh, in this particular place, in this particular time. And as you've already heard this morning, today we're kicking off a new series called The Other Six Days, where we want, where, where we want to explore what it looks like for our faith to take root, not just in Sunday, but also in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. And we've had this sermon series planned for quite a while, and we were actually looking to do it a little later on in the spring, but some recent events have caused us to move it up the calendar and to start doing it right now. Let me explain. Uh, If you are new or if you're a guest with us, uh, then you maybe don't know that we have spent so far all of 2016 doing one thing. And if you have been with us, then you know that the one thing we've been doing is studying Paul's letter to the Romans, this book in the Bible called Romans. And it's this great um, expose on salvation. Paul is clarifying for us the nature of the gospel. And his one emphasis throughout this big, long book is that God has had one mission, he has one plan, and it's been consistent through all time, and it is to save everybody, all sinners, people like you and me, to save all people the same way by grace through faith in Jesus, that it's not about works, it's not about us living up to a certain performance record or us doing good enough to deserve God's favor, that's not how it works, that when we were at our worst, God actually reached in and saved us and loved us there, that's how it works. And so this whole series is about been, has been about the, the, the centered uh, grace that actually roots us, and we've heard a lot of great feedback throughout the last couple of months. We've heard things like, this is what I needed to hear. This is what I always wanted to believe, but I wasn't sure if it was true. This is changing me. Finally, after all these years, I think I'm getting that God loves me, and it's been great. But we've also heard a second theme in the conversations that we've been having as we've unpacked the gospel, as we've looked at Romans. And the second theme is, uh, the gospel is great, but how does it connect to my life, like the rest of it, the daily stuff? This is wonderful. These truths are great, but how do, how do they take root? Like, how, what does this mean for me as a married person or as a single person? Or what does it have to say for my career? And that is, those are the questions that we want to tackle over the next six weeks. How does the gospel, how does Jesus, how does faith relate to and illuminate the day-to-day realities of normal life? Marriage, parenting, singleness, work, rest, and play. And today we're talking about marriage. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not married, or I'm not married anymore, or I never want to be married, so this has nothing to do with me. Hold on, slow down, slow down. Uh, For one thing, we're going to be talking about singleness here in a couple of weeks, so we're going to hit the spectrum. And also, uh, we want to make sure and say that both of these messages, all of these messages really, but these two in particular, are relevant for everyone, parenting included in the middle. All of these are relevant for everyone uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, for one thing, these are controversial issues in our day, and so we want to be able to speak to them from a biblical perspective. For two, we don't know when our lives are going to change and how. And maybe most importantly, even if we're talking about something that isn't your day-to-day experience, if you have any friends who are in a different situation than you, if you're single and you have any married friends, or if you're married and you have any single friends, or if you don't have kids and you have any friends with kids, like all these different directions, then you are going to be able to love them well and help them more if you understand 
what it is that they've decided to do. If you understand what the Bible has to say to them and their experience. So we really do believe that all of these issues are relevant to everyone. And we're looking forward to talking about each of them. Now marriage, for its part, is kind of risky to bring up in in a diverse room. Unless, of course, you like, you know, putting on metaphorical boxing gloves. Marriage can start some fights. Different people have different opinions about some of these things. But I think there's one thing that we all probably believe, that we all tend to assume, and that is that marriage is good, but hard. It is good. Marriage is good. The Bible says, for its part, in Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds what is good. Now, I haven't found a corresponding verse about husbands yet, but I'm still looking. We'll see. And actually, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 24, there's a law that, that uh, sometimes gets ignored. It's a law where if you're an Israelite soldier serving in the army and you get, you, get, you, you get married, you're actually required by law to stay home out of battle for a year simply to bring joy to your wife. So the Bible's very clear that marriage is good. But I think people believe this who don't have anything to do with the Bible, Right now, in in America, just to speak of our context, uh, fewer people are getting married than ever before. So, like, the the amount of adults who aren't married is higher than it's ever been. It's all the way up to one in five, which means four out of five people are still getting married. Eighty percent of people are still saying, I think this is worth it. And most of those who have a marriage that fails say, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to go back into this. So, marriage is good. I think we believe that. But marriage is also hard. Amen? It is. I mean, you've heard the same jokes I have. If love is blind, then marriage is a real eye-opener. If, uh, if, if love is a dream, then marriage is the alarm clock. Or how about this one? It's not true to say that married men live longer than unmarried men. It just seems longer. <laughs> a husband says to a wife, you know, whenever I get mad at you, you never fight back. Like, how do you control your anger? Wife says, why scrub the toilets? Husband says, how does that help? Wife says, well, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) And oh, the jokes I would tell if I didn't mind offending. But we will do something more constructive with our time. I'd like for us to find out right now who is the longest married uh, husband and wife in our our room right now. So if you are, uh, how many of you have been married 25 years or more? If you, there's quite a few. If you would go ahead and stand up 25 years or more, we're going to have you guys stand up if you don't mind. Um, if that would be okay. And then here's what we want to do. I'm going to go, you know, progressively through the years. And, and if, if uh, when, we, when we hit your limit, you can have a seat. My word. Wow. Okay. I could have started at 35. Uh, let me jump to, how about let me jump a full 10 years. 35. You've been married less than 35 years. Go ahead and have a seat. So those standing would be married for 35 years or more. How about uh, if you've been married less than 40 years, go ahead and have a seat. 45. 50. Uh, How about 55? Wow. Uh, 56. 57. 50. So right here, 57. How many years have you guys been married back here? 61 years they've been married. Wow. And that proves my point. Why did you clap? You know, like we always do, but why, why do we clap? Same reason we cheer when or at least admire people who run a marathon or start their own company or, or do anything difficult. It's difficult. 
It's hard. Nobody who knows anything is going to say, eh, 61 years, no big deal. (laughs) No, it is a big deal. It's awesome because it isn't easy. And can I be brutally honest with you? (laughs) My wife and I both kind of sorted hated our first year of marriage. The hate might be a strong word, but only by a little. And don't worry, I adore my wife. Like I literally couldn't describe for you how much I love her. I mean it too. I'm not just saying that. She's not even in the room, so I'm not getting brownie points. I think my wife is awesome. But uh, there was a time when we were both looking at each other, thinking to ourselves, I kind of think this sucks. Do you feel the same way? <laughs> now, we weren't going to say that. It wasn't until like two years later that we were like, hey, I didn't, at first, it, and we were, yeah, oh, you too, okay, awesome, great. And both of us knew then, and to be honest, both of us know now, even though our marriage is good, our marriage is strong, we love our marriage, and we adore each other, even now, we know that we need to know, what's the point? Like, why would we do the hard work necessary to make this thing work? Not to mention to make it like occasionally fun, you know? And so where we have to begin is by recognizing that marriage is whatever God says it is because it was his idea. He made it. So he gets to define what it is and how it works best. It's because the world, our world, our current version of the world will tell us that the purpose of marriage is to, to get your emotional needs met, that that's what it's about. And if that doesn't happen, then you can be out or, or whatever. Like that's the one barometer for, for what counts as legit marriage, for when marriage is working, those kind of things. And I'm not even saying that's not a part of it, but it's such a small part of it. Because when we listen to scripture, what we see, and this is the big picture idea I want to communicate today. We're going to talk about a couple of specific points within this, but the big picture idea is pretty simple. Marriage is designed to reflect God's love for his people. That's what it is. Marriage is a reflection of God's love for his people. That's why he made it. That's what what it's for. So if you want a good theology of marriage, and if you want to understand what the heck this gift is that you've been given, here you go. Marriage is designed to reflect God's love for his people. You forget that, and the sweater starts to unravel. I mean, that is what all of the texts assume, the text that we heard read this morning. Marriage is designed to mirror God's love to a watching world. So the light comes down, hits the mirror, mirror's angled out, shows everybody what's up there. That's what it's for. That's why marriage is good, and that's why marriage is hard. Matter of fact, it's the things that make marriage hard that actually make marriage good. So what I want to do is examine together three marriage realities this morning. We're going to look at some of the things about marriage that make it good and hard, and we're going to see what this shows us about God's love for us and how we can display it outward. First of all, first thing I want to say, number one, marriage is hard but good because it requires exclusive commitment. There's two big scary words. Exclusive commitment. But it re- because it requires that I commit to one person to the exclusion of everybody else around. It requires that I commit myself to one person alone for as long as we're both alive. And that's hard. Theoretically, marriage would kind of be easy if we could treat it like our favorite Starbucks drink, you know? I'm kind of tired of mocha latte. Today, I think I'll have a grande blonde. (laughs) I wrote that before I realized the double meaning, but I left it after I realized the double meaning. (laughs) And it would be... And we think, we think sometimes, this would be easy if I could just stick with you as long as I like you and then, and then be done when I don't, or vice versa. It'd be easier if we could just sort of, it wouldn't work in reality, of course, but this is what we tell ourselves. Sometimes you find yourself thinking maybe, if I could just go back in time and, and marry person X instead of you, or if I could just be free to go like find someone who fill in the blank. 
Essentially what we think to each say and sometimes say to each other, hopefully not all the way, but sometimes what, what people think is in short, it, my marriage would be awesome if I weren't married to you, you know? And I think this is, this is kind of part of the point. I think this is kind of part of some of what God wants to see. If, if you feel that way, imagine how God feels about me. Imagine how God feels about you. And, and in this case, he's actually right. If there are issues in the relationship between God and me, it is squarely on me. He doesn't just feel like I'm the problem, like I am the problem. And what if God used that as an excuse to drop me for a better offer? Can you imagine if his love was that fickle? No, no, no. God commits to his people in covenantal love. Now, now he'll let us walk away for sure, but he'll never be the one to bail. And he'll only let us walk away after exhausting every possible avenue to bring us back home. I want to read to you one more passage of scripture. You heard uh, the primary ones read up front, but let me read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, verses 4 through 8. And Isaiah is writing to God's people when God's people weren't doing so hot, when they had rejected him and they were experiencing some of the consequences. But notice the imagery and description that the prophet Isaiah uses as he speaks on God's behalf to the people in Isaiah 54, 4 through 8. He says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your redeemer. No, the, the love that marriage is designed to reflect is not temporary or fair weather or erratic. So here's what this tells us to do. This tells us to express, embrace exclusive commitment as an opportunity to learn love. Love must be learned. Catherine Ann Porter says, hatred needs no instruction just to be provoked, but love must be learned and learned again and again. She's right. Love is an acquired ability. Love is a learned habit. At some point, you, just, you make a commitment and you just keep it. And everyone in our world claims to be all about love. I'm all about love. But I gotta admit, I'm a little skeptical. I wonder sometimes if what we mean by that is that we like people who meet our needs. I like people who make me feel good about me, who make me feel special. I like those people and I hang out with them and I stay with them. That's fine, but that's not deep, genuine love. And in the real world, love is messy. Love gets tested and stretched because its essence is committing to doing good to someone even when what we would rather do is leave. So we embrace the exclusive commitment of marriage to learn love. The second marriage reality that I want to acknowledge this morning is that marriage is hard but good because we're different. I don't know if it takes much proving uh, on this one, but if it does, just go visit the local bookstore's marriage shelf. You'll find book titles like His Needs, Her Needs, His Brain, Her Brain, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And since that one was taken, you'll find another one called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. <laughs> okay, great. Or take the most helpful idea I've found. This is from a book called Love and Respect, 
which is one of your suggested resources, and we have them available in the, uh, in the bookstore. It is probably the most practical of the three that, that I asked that we have available today. And there's the main idea of this, and you can take a look at this picture. Um, they talk about like marriage when it's working well is a cycle where our differences actually work for us. And they talk about how, I think it's probably coming, we'll see. They talk about this thing called, there it is, energizing cycle. And their basic idea is that a man's greatest need is to be respected, generally speaking, and a woman's greatest need is to be loved. And so whenever his love is being given to her, it's motivating her respect. And whenever he's receiving her respect, he feels respected, so it motivates his love. And it's just this, this great pattern, this energizing cycle. And not all men and women are exactly the same, so it's not as simple as every man is on one side, every woman's on the other, but the point is, we're different from one another. And when we tend to those differences, it makes things go well. And I think this is generally true. Now, sometimes we get confused about the differences between men and women. Um, I have a son who is uh, two, almost three, and this is the age when kids start figuring out, you know, the differences. And so, like, Carson and I will be walking along, and he'll be just, we're boys. I'm like, yeah, we're boys, man. Sometimes we'll be walking along, and he'll say, Daddy, we're superheroes. And I'm like, yeah. Now, girls can be superheroes too, buddy, but yes, we are. So my wife, Beth, was playing superheroes with him the other day, and uh, Beth says, hey, how about you be Superman because he looks like Daddy? And Carson said, no, he doesn't. (laughs) And she said, well, how about Batman? Does he look like Daddy? No. And then Beth said, well, which one looks like Daddy? I'm not kidding. He said, "Uh, Wonder Woman. (laughs) I don't even know. I don't know where this kid gets it, you know. He's a little confused. But the point is, like, we're different. (laughs) We get that. And we're supposed to be. Matter of fact, this is precisely the reason God made marriage to be one male and one female. It's not just one person making an exclusive commitment to another version of the same thing. It's one person making that commitment to what is different. And you see this design all the way back in Genesis 1. I know we only read part of it, but the the whole chapter is about these complementary pairs that work together to produce life. Hear that well. That's what Genesis 1 is showing us. If you read this, you see these different, like night and day, the waters above the earth from the waters below, the ocean and land, the fish and the fowl. You have these various pairs that are designed to work together to produce and cultivate and sustain life, and it's all designed to symbolize the partnership Between heaven and earth, that's the the ultimate pair. Between heaven and earth, the fact that God wants a relationship with us who are down here, with those who are different from him. And the crown of creation in Genesis 1 is the first married pair, Adam and Eve. And in their union, most vividly in their sexual union, but more broadly speaking, in the the peaceful and complementary cooperation between these two different things, we see what one author describes as a word picture of the most important news humans have ever received, that there is a divine relationship between God and his people. The point of marriage is to show the world, to show ourselves that God loves what is different from him in ways that produce and cultivate life. Are you hearing this? This is the original design for marriage. We see more of the same in Genesis chapter 2, where we get another look at kind of how this process plays out and what's significant about it. And here in this passage, the the woman is described as the, it's hard to translate, the the phrase in the Hebrew is etzer konegdo, and it means something like helper-like opposite unto him. But the helper, don't read it as just like assistant. That helper word is actually often used to describe God helping Israel. 
The point in this particular context is that she is similar but different from him. And so the two come alongside one another like interlocking puzzle pieces. Puzzle pieces are not the same, but they're not just randomly different. They're different in such a way that they fit together perfectly to create a greater whole. The two become one and you have a new thing. Each is strong where the other is weak. That's the purpose of the differences in marriage. And so here's what this tells us to do. We embrace difference as an opportunity to work together and show the world that God loves what is different from him in ways that produce and sustain and cultivate life. It's an opportunity to mirror God's love by cooperating with what is not actually like us, what is different. And we recognize the beauty of cooperation among difference in all sorts of places. We like movies where different types of people work together, whether it's Shanghai Noon or Team of Rivals or Twins, pick your poison, you know? We like music where voices and instruments that are different come together harmoniously. I think this is why we love sports so much. It's just so fascinating to watch all these different moving parts and pieces come together for one singular purpose, one singular goal. And in order for marriage to work properly, in order for it to do what it was designed to do, we've got to embrace our differences as part of the point and an opportunity to testify to the world that God loves what is not just like him. It gives a whole new meaning to those times whenever you just are trying to figure out what in the world the other person even means. We're just different. And that's hard, but it's good. The third thing I want to say is marriage is hard but good because we are broken. Marriage is hard but good because we are broken. The original design for marriage reflected God's love for what is different. And that original purpose was challenging for sure. But sin infiltrated the situation and made it a hundred times worse. The problem with, with your marriage is not your spouse or you, but sin. Or maybe better put, the problem with your marriage is sin and therefore both of you. Marriage is a challenge because it's supposed to be, even before sin entered the picture. But now sometimes marriage can feel or become impossible because sin has corrupted everybody. We're not just different, we're broken. To love what is other than me is harder now because, well, I'm kind of all about me. Love has given way to self-protection and self-promotion and self-actualization. Now, thanks to sin, thanks to the fact that I've rejected God and decided to do things my way, I'm preoccupied with myself and my happiness above other concerns. Now, anyone who stands in between me and what I want is a threat, and you better believe that even a perfect spouse will at some point stand between you and your selfish dreams. Now, because I'm broken, I don't reach out in love. Instead of reaching out in love, I point the finger in hatred or condemnation or indifference. I mean, it happened immediately. You're the problem. Have you read Genesis 3? It happened right away. God comes to Adam and says, why would you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam says, well, I mean, you put her here with me. So, hmm? Blaming immediately. So now the cycle works backwards. Matter of fact, that cycle that they introduced us to earlier, the love and respect, they have this other version they call the crazy cycle, and it's the opposite. That without love, a woman demonstrates with disrespect, and without respect, a man demonstrates with a lack of love, and so it works in the opposite way it's supposed to. Instead of love leading to respect, leading to love, leading to respect, unlove leads to disrespect, leads to unlove, leads to disrespect. You've seen this. I've seen it. Too many have lived it. For me, the hardest part of, of full-time ministry was doing 
counseling for married couples that were hanging on by less than a thread. I didn't, I didn't do a lot of it, but I remember three couples in particular, I could tell you their names, that I spent hours with. Uh, two didn't make it, and one, by God's grace, is still kicking. But it's not even the failure that, that haunts me. It's the, it's, it's the way they talked to each other. It's the way they looked at each other. Such distrust, such contempt, such not caring. And I remember sitting in those meetings, some of which, have got, some of which got pretty hot. Like they're having married trouble, and I'm Italian, so the volume was not low in these conversations, okay? And I remember sitting in those meetings, and I remember going home from those and saying, I will not look at my wife that way. I will never speak to my wife anything like that. But it's hard, eh? because she's not perfect, and I'm far from it, more to the point. So the cycle works backward in all of our homes to some degree. Why would I love you? You're not lovely. Why would I respect you? You don't deserve my respect. Not right now. And so we tear each other apart at the very place where God designed humanity to come together as a, as a symbol for his love for us all. And what we need most in these moments is not just another good book on how to communicate in spite of our differences. That will be beneficial, but what we need most is not just something that's gonna treat the fruit. We need to treat the root. We need to heal the core. We need Romans. We need the gospel. See, and this is why, our brokenness is why, a proper understanding of the gospel is crucial for a good marriage. This is why I love the logo for our series, and I didn't make this thing. Our team put together something wonderful, because it's not just boxes that are lighting up. It's boxes with crosses in them. Because the, the, the quest to find a way to relate our faith to our everyday life is the question, how does the cross happen here? How does the cross happen for our purposes in my marriage? And this is why, whether you noticed it or not, we've kind of been working on healing marriages all year long because we've been studying Romans. What's the message of Romans? Well, God relates to us on the basis of grace. God doesn't say to us, when you clean yourself up and get perfect, then I will love you. Matter of fact, he says, I'm going to offer you grace while you're very much not perfect. God doesn't say, let's line up all the broken people on one side and the unbroken people on the other and get rid of all the broken people. No, there was only one person on the unbroken side and he came over to the broken side and died for us in an act of love and mercy and grace so that we might live when we least deserved it. This is the love that is to be reflected in our marriages. This is why, though brokenness is an obstacle, it is not a roadblock. Our sin has created a fence, but it is not a wall, and the gospel can break through it. And here's what this tells us to do. We embrace brokenness as an opportunity to extend grace. I'm well aware of how easy it is to say and hard it is to do. When I say embrace brokenness, that represents a lot of difficult memories, a lot of difficult realities. I know, I know. And extend grace, really? Yeah, but I choose extend on purpose because you can only extend what has been extended to you. It's been given to you. You just extend it. You don't have to create it from nothing. It's coming into you. You just extend it out toward one another. Ruth Bell Graham, married to Billy Graham, a great man by all counts. Ruth Bell Graham once said, every good marriage is a union of two forgivers. Yeah. Amen, indeed. Now, I don't know if marriage has a secret sauce, but if it was a cookie recipe, forgiveness would be the flour. You know what I mean? Like, I'll let you discern what sugar would be. You can figure that out later. But the forgiveness would be the flour because forgiveness is what makes the cookie rise, right? 
It's what makes it rise. The ancients had these different words for love, friendship love, romantic love, family love. And then there was this word agape that was about selfless love. Agape is a love that doesn't calculate benefit for me. Agape is a love that's willing to suffer for another. Agape is a love that forgives. And Peter Kreeft once said, we may fall in love, but we don't fall in agape. In agape, we rise. And as long as marriage is made up of people like me, forgiveness will be required. I'm not perfect, and neither is she, so neither are we. Listen, our goal is not to have a church full of perfect marriages. I don't like hanging out with people who lie and pretend, and you probably don't either. Our goal is to have a church full of gospel marriages. Sinful people mirroring the love manifested in Christ as much as they can. Broken people receiving and extending grace. Let's move to a close. Here's here's what to do. If your marriage is hurting or if you know of someone whose is, please come talk to us. We have people at the prayer center out there. We have a box that looks like this with an opening on top. You can write out a prayer request for your own marriage or others. And if you don't want to talk, you just want us to pray, drop it in there. We'll pray for it. And I know I haven't spent much time talking today about the ways that we sin against God's vision for marriage. Now's not the time for, for, for attack mode, but now is the time for truth. And if you're not married, but you're kind of pretending that you are, if you're not married, but you're living together or taking part in benefits that were designed for marriage alone, to be honest about your situation. If you think, hey, what we've been talking about about marriage is so wonderful and beautiful, okay, yes, be honest enough to admit that you're doing something else. And if you want to have the kind of relationship in which God is mirrored to the world, then go get it. Make the exclusive commitment and make it without any more hesitation or delay. Go all in or get out and stop playing around. I'm serious. Find us today. We'll make it happen this week. Let's make this thing official. And I don't know if the reason you're delaying is because you're afraid or because of finances or because you want a big pretty wedding. I get all those things. No judgment from me. I want your day to be beautiful too. But your integrity is more important than the nature of the celebration. We'll have a big party later. For now, let's just focus on doing the right thing. And for those who are married, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look at your spouse and I want you to take each other's hands, both hands. I don't care if you're fighting. For all I know, you might hate each other's guts right now. I still want you to take each other's hands and look at your face. And for those who aren't married, I would like to ask for you during this next moment to just pray for the people whose hands are together and whose eyes are locked in. And I don't know what your vows sounded like, but they probably sounded something like this. Now, we're going to go with Adam and Eve because, you know, otherwise it would be chaotic and all of our marriages extend from that original one. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to start with the men and I want you to say it loud. I want to be able to hear you. All right? Look at your wife, take her hands and repeat after me. I, Adam, take you, Eve, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. And ladies, I would like to ask you to look at your husbands, hold their hands, and repeat after me. I, Eve, take you, Adam, to be my husband, to have and to hold 
from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. May our marriages reflect God's love as we maintain our exclusive commitments. May our marriages reflect God's love as we work peacefully from what is different from ourselves. May our marriages reflect God's love as we extend grace. Amen? Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.